I was with uh, someone last night that I told him I was going to use this, uh, this little story because it's very true in one of my sermons, but I never dreamed that by the time I got done with all this, this is a part of it today. I'm going to uh, open a prayer today. I don't normally do that. Maybe it's a fault that I have or something, but um, I want to be very specific in what we pray, and I'm going to ask you to join us in prayer if you don't mind. Dear Jesus, speak to my heart and change my life. Amen. Now, is that quick enough? Y'all know I believe in quick prayers. When I pray for food, I don't ask the Lord to bless the, uh, the, the little pygmies in Africa, and I don't pray for everybody else in the country, but I pray for the food. I ask the Lord to bless it. No, what do I do? I'm grateful for it. I tell the Lord I'm grateful for his provision. And the same way with this message, we want the message to speak to our heart, and we want it to bring change into our lives. So I'm going to ask you, if you will, in just a second, turn to John chapter 6. But there was a guy, uh, there was a fellow who had some rental properties, had some mobile home trailers and, and maybe some houses too, I don't know. But in, in particular case, he went to this one guy. This guy, was, I think, might have been behind on his, on his rent maybe. And he went up to him and knocked on the door. And the guy said, come in. And so the guy went in there and he said he was here to collect the rent. And he said, well, I don't have the money for the rent. He goes, well, he said, you seem to have plenty of money for the beer and the Marlboro's. Why don't you have money for the rent? <clears throat> and this is the exact way that he responded. You expect me to do without my barbells and my beer to pay my rent? Come on, y'all. You expect me to go without my marbles and my, and my beer to pay the rent? I think this guy just looked at him. I don't know what happened then, but I, if you know this guy, you know his personality, he probably just looked at him, shook his head, and turned and walked back out the door. But that is exactly why, we, why many people come to church. We come to church for a variety of reasons. I believe in a, in a prosperity, and I believe in God prospering and God giving you favor. But we got to be so careful. We're not just using God or trying to behave in a certain way that God will give favor upon our life. Go to John chapter 6, uh, verse 26. Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, seek me not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. Years ago when I worked at Teen Challenge, one of our paces or, or one of the lessons or pace work that the guys would do, uh, so many times, they, it doesn't say it exactly, but uh, they bring up their sheet to do the work on the, just complicated. But anyway, in the pace, it said, it had this question on there. Why did the people, why did the people follow the Lord? And so they would always say, because of food. Well, they would mark it wrong because we wanted to drive a point home. They seen the Jesus as a free meal ticket. They weren't worried about a change. They weren't worried about the miracles. They were, they were enamored by them, maybe, but they were really drawn because of food. Really drawn because of food. I couldn't imagine just being that mentality, but if you go back to the guy, we're talking about the renter. Expect me to give up my Marlboros and give, give up my, my beer. That's ridiculous in some people's eyes. And some of you this morning and myself too, we need to evaluate everything that we do and everything that we have coming into our life. 
of why it's there. Jesus was not naive. He was not simple-minded. He wasn't betrayed. So he spoke a word of prophecy to them. He told them the truth. He knew what he was to them. This is just the beginning of the chapter. He goes into a long discourse about who Jesus was. The real food, let me say this. You have to provide something sometimes to get people in the door, to get people access to it, to speak the word and speak truth to them and make a difference in life. And that's what Jesus done. He provided food. He always did from a from variety of miracles, from a little boy's lunch and 12 basketfuls left over and all the things that he'd done. But he got them there so they could hear this word, that there could be some word that would get it to their heart and they would learn to live differently. And that's where we are here. He was one who could provide food, but he knew the hearts of the people. I'm sure that a few people out of this big crowd, we would have 5,000, 10,000 people come for this great feed. But it's probably some of them got it to the, the inside part and, and they digested it in their system, the spiritual aspect of it. But how many could come to, to just simply Understand who he was. Simply understand the Godhead who he was. Simply understand his deity. When we come into church this morning, and I tell you, I don't think we could have had any greater worship. Any greater worship. If we would have worshiped for an hour and a half, I would have been fine with me. It was just so awesome to be in his presence and, and, and my part of giving back to him and it's so filling he is of me. You can always get a crowd when everything's free. Requires nothing of them. And I'm not, this is not derogatory toward a food bank and our soup for souls, not at all. Jesus told us to feed those people. But along for the day, at some point, that we become so consistent in our coming and in our giving of ourselves and the Lord working in our life. I told some people I had a meeting with a few weeks ago that my prayer in the next six months that we have so many coming into these doors not to hear a word of, of how good we are but how good he is. If we have one service then we would go possibly go to two services someday but I don't want people to think that our God is a God who's someone who's just rubbed a magic genie bottle and he comes out and the Aladdin, if you will. I pray that each of us, when we came in here, we came expecting to receive directly from him and give back directly to him. It's not just a place to make me feel better about myself. There's a quote I heard, I mean, I've said in a sermon or teaching on Wednesday night or something. We want the greatest return on the, the least amount given. We want the greatest return and greatest amount of blessing and greatest amount of direction in our life with the least amount that we give. And God doesn't ask for a whole lot. We know what tithe is. We know what we give. We know what's 10%, but of ourselves, what is the tithe and what is the giving of ourselves that we give a little bit of? Go to... Chapter 26 and verse 50, 54. 
This is where God began, Jesus begins to speak things and people begin to have a hard time with what he was speaking. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life and I will raise him up at the last day for my flesh is the meat indeed and my blood is the drink indeed. Now these people are beginning to look at him like he's crazy and he's some type of a, a lunatic talking about eating his flesh and, and drinking his blood. But you know he's talking spiritually. If this was the bread of life, this is the new about the fulfillment of the law. And people would take this and digest it, and many of them didn't understand. I'll get into it in just a minute. Well, I'm gonna do away with this. Okay, it makes me even more nervous, I think. Yep. Eating and drinking the blood. You know, it was, it was even more difficult for the Jews you know, a Jewish person had so many ceremonial laws about blood and about a dead body and all these things. And Jesus is talking about something that's very difficult, complicated for them to, to, to comprehend. Verse 59 says, the things he said, these things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Now, I want to say something to you. Who was in the synagogue? The fellow Jews. The followers of Christ to a degree Verse 60, therefore many, of his, therefore of his, many of his therefore disciples, when they heard this, they said, this is a hard thing. Who can, who can hear it? Who can accept it? This was all new. Jesus was new. Jesus had been in ministry just a short time, maybe a year. And so they're hearing something they never heard before. Drink my blood and eat my flesh. If I said that to you, you might have an understanding. You might not. Take what he is and take what he taught and, and digest it into your, to your, to yourself. This is going to be a different sermon. What happens when you hear something strong and you hear something direct? They're warning him from the beginning here. This is a hard saying. Who can bear it? Who can handle this? Many began to question him. Maybe he expected a little too much. Maybe he expected just a little bit too much from them. Look at verse 66. From that time, many of his disciples went back and they walked no more with him. Man, can you imagine that? They were one of the 12, I know that, but say there were 60 of them, and, and they were followers of him to a degree. And, but when he said that, all of them kind of joined hands, and they all began to nudge each other and begin to say, I don't understand. He's it's saying too much. He's expecting too much of us. So they went home. I don't think you're any of those. I think you're the 12 that remains. I think you're the 12 that remains. Now, if you were Jesus, and if I was there, verse 67, when Jesus said it to the 12, will you also go away? And I'm gonna stop in just a minute because I think he, I think he directed this a little, a little differently. He speak to the crowds and he was very proper and they all responded. But he said, what about you boys? 
What about you? Are you going to leave as well? What about you? What about us? The least little thing offends us and we leave. We can't take a, a proper adult perspective on life and about this journey with Christ. You're going to stay? You're going to leave when the food stops? When miracles stop? When the political... A lot, of, a lot of them had this idea that he was going to be a political leader. And when you find out that they, listen to me, this was really relevant to them because a lot of them were following, in a degree, to a degree, following Jesus because they thought he was going to have political power. Remember Peter and John said, well, may I say, their mother went to him and said, one can stand on their left and one on the right. They, they were in this image of, their, of, a, of spiritual elitism it's the farthest thing from the truth. If I ask each of us here this morning, what about you? You're going to do it or you're going to quit? Stay with it, you're going to quit. In verse 68, we find the heart of Peter and the rest of them were like him. And Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. We believe that thou art, thou, thou art sure. We believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of God. If there was ever any words that Jesus needed to hear, that's the words he needed to hear. That's the words. Because they removed all doubt about who they thought he was. Go to the book of John, chapter 10. The thief cometh not but to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I am come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. I want to stop there for just a second because we often dwell on that and we teach it, and I believe it's so absolutely true. So absolutely true. The enemy is out to still kill, destroy everything that he can. And many of our lives have been, have been ransacked because of what the enemy has done. And the impact he has made upon our life. But the second part I can also say is so true. He has come that we can have life and have it more abundantly. And I believe with all my heart. And I experience the greatest things of God I could ever experience. But yet there's more. The scripture's not used, was not written to flatter you. It was not there, it was not put down, so you would be enamored with how good God is necessarily. It wasn't like him. Everybody got in a crowd and they would follow him around when he was alive back in those days and they would follow him because of the food and the resources that he would provide and the healing he would provide too, I, I know that. But God wasn't into flattering people. He wasn't into giving them a big, a big expectation. It's a reality. Good consequences 
of a person repenting for the sin. I'm gonna stop there for a second. If you think any of us can come to church and we just, we come for the social part of it and we come for the spiritual part as long as it doesn't get too entailed and detailed and, and God doesn't deal with me directly. But I believe with all my heart by the time this message is over, there's some people here that their toes will be stepped on. You can leave here and think I will never go back and you may think a lot of things that you shouldn't. But God is not here to flatter us. Even though we hear that scripture and I've, I've appreciated many times and I believe with all my heart, he's not here to try to impress you. He's here for you, seriously. He is here for you and this is written that you would see your need for a savior. A place of repentance, a place of on your knees and, and coming to an altar and giving Jesus the glory and, and to have mercy upon you. It's not how good you are because you are not good. How many of us has ever had a, a lustful thought in here? We'd all raise our hand. How many of us have ever been covetous? All of us. There's nothing good about us. There's nothing. But there's something about this passage when God speaks it that he can, we can look at ourselves and say, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy of anything good, but yet he is. He brings so much good to my life. I'm going to read some to you. I didn't know really how to, to bring this in, but, you know, when I was dating Wanda, not, not anybody else, Wanda, and I used to say sweet thanks to her. Did I want to have to say things sweet? Do I still say? Don't answer that. Uh, when you have somebody you love and you're going to get married, you, you say sweet nothings to them, right? That make you feel good. And when you leave them, oh, you're just so excited. You're walking on air. And, oh, you're so elated with things. And, but here's the reality. None of the things that are sweet, Jesus had to go through. He didn't go through the things he went through to, for people to say, oh, look at Jesus and look at all that he's done. Let me just get to my notes. It wasn't sweet to Jesus in the garden. In the garden of Gethsemane when he was praying and his sweat became drops of blood. He labored, he went through things in the garden that nobody else here knows, nobody could ever know but him. That he would, he would bear the sin of the world, he would take the responsibility of all of us and every one of us in here from front to back, side to side, it doesn't matter. At that point he was saying, well, I'll, take, I'll take it all, Lord. And he knew what this entailed because he knew this is the hardest part of his ministry, the hardest part of his life was in the garden. Because in the garden it's when he made the decision to go through with what was gonna happen next. It wasn't sweet when his, when his mom saw him die and suffer. It wasn't sweet when they struck him on the face and began to mock him. It wasn't sweet when they plucked out his beard. It wasn't sweet when he beat his back with the cat of nine tails and we, we've seen the movie, The Last Temptation of Christ. Not The Last Temptation of Christ. God forbid me saying that. The, what's the movie? Now y'all know what I was trying to say. Yeah, the passion of the Christ. 
Oh, Lord, help me. When they beat his back, it wasn't sweet when they put the crown of thorns on his head. I don't know. I don't know what could have went through his mind. Probably that, man, I'm doing this for these guys that don't even know it yet. They don't even know what I'm doing, but I'm doing it for them, and they're the ones sticking the crown of thorns on my head. When they began to mock him, they spat on him. They made him carry the cross that they had for him all the way up Golgotha. You know, the things that he went through, and it wasn't sweet, it wasn't nice, it wasn't a prosperous thing that he had, but they began to drive the nails through his feet, through his wrist and his hand, his feet and his wrist. And the last little bit of torture I think that he went through on that was they had him all on the cross, had him all bound, he couldn't get away. The price was pretty much paid at that point. And then they stood him up, and I, I can imagine it didn't slide into the hole very easily. But when it went down the hole, it jolted and gave him one, sh- one last reassurance that uh, he paid an ultimate price. I've got a random scripture I'm going to share with you. It's James chapter 1 and verse 20. For the wrath of man... For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Even though with his wrath, people took out a lot of things and a lot of things to him. It wasn't the wrath. And it's just like when you try to guilt. This sermon is not about guilting anyone. I'm not trying to trying to impose my beliefs or my thoughts upon you, but because I know that wrath is a terrible thing necessarily. But the wrath is not produce repentance that does not produce repentance Hebrews chapter 4 You know, we, uh, the guy's been talking to me uh, going down to Duncan County at the, at the jail. He began to tell my story, and, and uh, that you can be in a situation, you can be in a hardship, you can be in a terrible place. And I would say Duncan County's pretty rough. I uh, have a lot of inmates, 250 inmates. Uh, but when a man is serious, when a man is focused, and when, when God gets your attention, you can sit and begin to, to listen. God can begin to speak to your heart. There's a guy by the name of Dante, and he's down there in, in Duncan County. Um, he's in prison now. He just uh, got sent to Bonterre somewhere. We didn't have anybody in there. They don't have a jail ministry. They don't have anybody that goes in there and speaks. They don't have any Bibles in the whole jail. None, zero. And uh, why he's in there, since he started doing some soul searching, evaluating of his life, 
And he came to a place of, of accepting Christ into his life and nobody shared anything with him. Hebrews chapter four, verse 12, it says, the, the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than the two-edged sword, piercing even into the dividing of the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrow and the discerner of the thoughts and tents of the heart. That's exactly why Christ went to Calvary. That's exactly why nothing was sweet about it. There's nothing pleasant about it. Nothing grandeur about it. But this word went reached down into a jail. It reveals the hidden things. It reveals the unpleasant things internally. God gives direction to the person that doesn't even know him. I've heard stories of like Brother Paris, Sam Paris, when he was here, and he began to share about going on the different trails up the sides of the mountain. Been one he never went to before. I won't go into detail. But when he got there, they, they knew he was coming. And he said, how did you know? And process of time, their chief of that little tribe there in Vanuatu knew who he, wasn't know who he was, but he was coming. And he said, really, how did you know I was coming? He said, well, when I was a little boy and I jumped off a cliff because a major fire was going on and, and I hurt my leg, but I, I lived. God told me he was going to send somebody to speak truth to us. Did tell him it was going to take 55 years to get there. But he came through. The word of God is quick. Regardless of who you are, regardless of what you think, regardless of why you came in here, this isn't any... Anything to get you to respond just to, to, to a pathetic guy's words. Nobody was there for Dante. And God revealed himself to him and made himself known. He got the only Bible that went into the jail when he was there. And that's because a fellow I know was in the jail, received a Bible, and he took it with him to prison. He needed a living word in his life. I'm going to close on this. I want the worship team to come back. Samuel, chapter 12, 2 Samuel, I'm sorry, chapter 12. <clears throat> Verse 1, it says, And the Lord sent Nathan unto David, and he came unto him, and he said unto him, There were two men in the city, one rich and one poor. The poor had exceedingly many... The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had only nothing save one little ewe lamb, which he had brought up and nourished. Brought up and nourished, it grew up together with him and with his children. It did eat of his own meat and drink of his own cup, and laid in his bosom, and unto him as a daughter. And there came a traveler unto the rich man, and spared not to take one of his own flock and his herd, dressed for the wayfaring man that came unto him, but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man. Man's lamb addressed it for the man that was coming to him. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die. 
He shall restore the land fourfold because of this thing, because he had no pity. David was furious. I think someone would treat someone that way. And rightfully so, he should be furious. The next verse says, And Nathan said to David, This is the famous, one of the most famous quotes in Scripture I've heard my whole life. And he said, Thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I know indeed over king over Israel. I deliver thee out of the hand of Saul. I gave thee thy master's house and the master's wives into thy bosom and gave thee the house of Israel and Judah. If that had been too little, I would have much given you much more things, given thee much, such and such things. Wherefore thou hast despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight and hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword and taken the wife to be thy wife and has slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Let me tell you a little bit about this. God had done so much for this man. Everybody look at me for just a second. If you know God has done a lot for you, and he's spared you, he's worked in you, he's done, he's done mighty things in your life, I will ask you to show your hands whenever I put their hand up. I know he has. I know he has. He's had mercy in my failures, mercy in my stupidity, and mercy in my uh, immaturity. Those words could have hurt David and could have really set him off. Everything that he had done in his life. But it didn't. David could have sliced off his head for telling, revealing the truth. He could have. He took, could have took a sword. He was a mighty man of, of, of great war warrior and he could have done a lot of things. But he didn't. David had a lot of responsibility, had a lot of pleasures. But yet he wanted the one pleasure that was beyond his reach. It was somebody else's wife, it was somebody else's lamb, if you will. Could you imagine, I, I thought to myself, one of his servants, he sent down to Uriah's house to get Bathsheba because he's seen her out there bathing on the, on the rooftop, is at night? so she wouldn't be seen. He could have sliced off his head for revealing it, for making it a public thing, to make it a, he was caught in a sin, but he didn't. That's where I want to stop with us in just a second. We come all the time to church and we're good in the eyes of man and we have all this, 
all this churchy stuff that's up on us, and it's great and it's wonderful. But I wonder, on the outside, at home, if we're as David, we've corrupted ourselves with stuff that shouldn't be involved in our life. And the Lord looks at us and he says, man, I've given you everything. I've given you a good wife, I've given you a good husband. I've given you provisions that only only I could bring into your life. If you will remember, if you'll remember when, back before you met met me, before you accepted me as your Savior, remember the stuff that was involved in your life back then. Do you remember? Is that what we want to go back to? sing and start a song I'm going to do I'm not going to ask you to close your eyes and bow your head and count three and do all that but I believe with all my heart there's a place of repentance that needs to come out from us it just does it may not be as bad as David Bathsheba but what is our attitude like? It's so easy to let little things come in and creep in and take priority. This is, a, this is an altar call for believers. And this is an altar call for one who is maybe just visiting. And at one time you were a Christian or maybe you never served the Lord. Maybe he's never been the Lord of your life. what he went through for us. God has dealt with your heart in any way. I want you to come and find a place to pray, a place of repentance.